Welcome to Cornerstone, where we are seeing lives change through the truth of God's Word and the love of God's people. We're glad you've joined us. Today, we'll be hearing from a special guest speaker. Listen in and be encouraged as we spend some time in God's Word together. So uh, it has been a great week. It's been a long week at VBS, so I'm a little more tired than normal. Uh, And I love that this is a place where I can trip falling up the steps as I did a month ago. I can run in late, and you guys show me a lot of grace. So thank you for that. It was a great week at VBS, and it was so special to see over 100 kids learn about the true king, learn about making right choices in a world that is encouraging them to do wrong, and learning to walk in the armor of God. My heart for us as a church is that we would equip you as parents, as grandparents, and as a community to walk alongside one another and point us to the truth of God's word and to faithfully follow Christ. And so this morning, we're going to take a break from 1 Peter, and we're actually going to spend the morning in Ephesians 6. We're going to look at the armor of God that the kids learned about this week. My hope is that a couple of things happen. One, that parents, I I equip you this morning to continue to have conversations with your kids that they could grow, that they could learn more about God's word and what God has done for them. The second thing that I want to encourage us to do is I think oftentimes in the armor of God, we get hung up on the sword, the shield, the the, the pieces of Roman armor, and we actually miss the truth, the incredible truth of all that God's done in the armor of God. So today we're going to be in Ephesians 6, beginning in in verse 10, sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. So if you want to make your way there, feel free to. We do have Bibles on the back windows of the back table, so feel free to grab one of those. If you forgot one, take it home with you if you need a Bible, Uh, and then the words will also be on the screen. Last thing before we get started, I am a dad of four kids. My youngest is four, and you would have seen her coming and going earlier in the songs because she couldn't make up her mind if she wanted to sing or not sing or be with daddy. So some of you have kids in this room, and they're going to get it rambunctious. I am more long-winded than most. So just know that if they have a question for you in the middle of the sermon, that's okay. Answer their question. If you need to get up and go to the bathroom, get up and go to the bathroom. Just know that you're not going to fluster me, and I want your kids to feel welcome here this morning. Uh, It's important that they're here with us. So please feel free to do that. All right. Well, one of my my son's favorite games right now on the Nintendo Switch is Mario, uh, Super Mario Odyssey. Like the Mario games that I grew up and maybe many of you grew up with, Mario is a character without any special abilities on his own. In in this version of Super Mario, he can throw his cap and he takes on the form of something else. So he can become a dinosaur, he can become a Koopa Troopa, he can become all these different characters. But the truth is that those abilities are not his. On his own, Mario is limited to walking, to running, to jumping, to crouching, just like you and I. He has no superpowers in his own strength. Well, one of my favorite characters in recent movies has been Iron Man. Uh, Most recently played memorably by Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, like Mario, has no innate super strengths or abilities. On his own, Tony Stark is actually vulnerable to attack. In fact, a key part of his story, if you know it, is this frailty. At the top of his pride, he nearly dies. And in fact, the rest of his life is only lived because he's kept alive by a souped-up battery in his chest that keeps his heart beating. Without his Iron Man suit, Tony Stark is frail, vulnerable, and weak. 
However, when he suits up, when he puts on the Iron Man suit, he now is protected. He now has strength he didn't have before. He can now do things that he wasn't able to do in his own strength because the machine gives him strength. Church, the same is true for you and for me. In our own strength and power, we cannot persevere in faithfully following Christ. Our world, our hearts, the the passions of our former ignorance, as Paul will remind us today, and Peter has, and our enemy, the devil, are all working overtime to pull us away from faithfully following God. We are literally, as Paul is going to say today, in a battle. And so what we're going to see today is that we're called to suit up, not with our own armor, not with anything we can muster, not anything in our own strength, but with God's armor. So that we can stand and withstand these attacks, God has given us incredible gifts that we get to stand in and truths that we get to stand in, that we might be found faithful as followers of Christ. So as we get started, will you pause once again? Let's join in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance today to, to be together surrounded by your word. I thank you for the chance to see the kids a few minutes ago singing your word in song. Lord, we do continue to pray that you would use the words of your Um, your words, Father, in their lives and in ours. And so, Lord, as we open Ephesians 6 today, Holy Spirit, I just pray, would you speak through it? Would you draw us closer to yourself? Would you conform us more and more into the image of your Son? And above all things, would you help us to be faithful followers of you, not in our own strength, but in yours? Father, we give this time to you, and we thank you for the chance to come together around your word. It's in your Son's name, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, Paul is writing his letter to the Ephesians, interestingly enough, about the same time that Peter is writing 1 Peter, where we've been since April. It's right around 62 AD. Both are writing from Rome, and and both are writing within two to three years-ish of when they will be killed under Emperor Nero. It's actually highly likely, here's the map of where these two letters go, it's highly likely that the church in Ephesus, the orange square, would have eventually received first Peter's, or Peter's first letter. And in turn, it's very likely that the churches that received first Peter's letter would have eventually received Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So we're going to see a lot of overlap. And what we see actually in both first Peter and Ephesians is a similar call to faithful living as God's people, both Jew and Gentile reconciled through Christ. Both Paul and Peter are are writing to Christians to encourage them to stand on what God has done for them in and through the death, resurrection, and victory of Christ in the midst of difficulty in 1 Peter, in the midst of division in Ephesians. Well, the city of Ephesus was a major city in the area, and they were pretty proud of themselves, not unlike those who live in Austin, Dallas, and Fort Worth. And actually, Houston as well, if we're honest, right? We can get pretty proud of our cities. The people in Ephesus were very similar that way. The first three chapters of this letter to the Ephesians focuses on biblical truths, on on truths of what God has done, especially the glorious riches we have in Christ and how Christ has united Jew and Gentile into one church. It's in this section that we get this great news in chapter two. Take a look at this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked. Great news, right? following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Here's the great news. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this theme of walk becomes the focus of the second half of the book. The the final three chapters of Ephesians are the call to what does it mean to live faithfully as followers of Christ, as individuals, as families, as communities. And so Paul will introduce most of the sections in the second half of the letter with two words. Therefore, because of what I've said about what Christ has done, walk. And that's how he'll introduce much of the second half of the book. You know, we often in our, in our contemporary world, as we're going to learn later, the devil tries to take pot shots at different places. And I feel like one of the ways he's doing that is Paul is the guy we don't like. We like Peter, we like, but we don't like Paul. And, and Paul really just changed everything about the Christian faith is one of the narratives we see. But actually what we see in seeing these two letters back to back is that no, Paul and Peter were proclaiming the same good news of the gospel, the same new life that we're called to. And you're going to be surprised by how much they overlap. So let me just give you one example. Let's take a look at Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Remember former ignorance in 1 Peter? They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their hearts. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. We've seen Peter talk about the same language created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Like Peter, Paul knows that this calling is not an easy thing. To be holy as God is holy, to to walk in the new life, even though the old life continues to pull for us and pull at us, is no easy thing. In this passage, we saw Paul talk about the hard work of putting off the old self, the hard work of renewing our minds, and the intentionality of putting on the new self. This is no easy task. And so Paul closes this really powerful letter of Ephesians by telling his readers, here's how you do it. Not only here's how you do it, here's all that God gives you to enable you to live as the people of God. And Paul says that it's going to be the very armor of God that you wear, that you're going to put on his might and his strength. And so as we look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 today, there are really three distinct sections we're going to unpack. The first one is a charge that we fight the evil one, not in our own wisdom and our own strength, but we fight by putting on God's armor in verses 10 through 13. In the second section of this today's passage, Paul highlights that the armor that God has given us is his attributes, his character. It's this incredible, gracious gifts of God, and we'll unpack those in verse 14 to 17. And then lastly, as he calls us to stand faithfully, he will call us to in all things pray always as we live in light of the truth of the armor of God in verses 18 through 20. So hopefully you've made your way to Ephesians 6, and so let's pick up in verse 10. Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day 
and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. All right, let's start unpacking this in verse 10. Paul is bringing his letter to a close by calling us with these powerful words. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The Greek here is a passive imperative. It's, it's something that has been done for us. It's not something we do for ourselves. Literally, the phrase here is be strengthened, be made strong in the Lord and the armor he has given you. Be strong in God's strength, not your own. Church, there's a truth here. There was nothing when we came to know Christ that saved us. We didn't bring anything to the equation other than a response to believe. And what Paul is telling us here is, hey, once again, faithfully following and walking with the Lord is not contingent on what you bring to the game. In fact, God has given you everything to not only be saved, but now to walk faithfully with him. And our response is, thank you, Lord. Because if it was us, we'd be in trouble. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. It seems to me as I've been studying this week and preparing for today that we often miss this point. I'm a historian. I love military history. And I got to be honest, in this passage, I often jump straight to the armor and be like, okay, I want to know more about that sword. I want to know more about that helmet. I want to know more about that breastplate and that shield, right? This is where we get kind of geek out on this passage. And somehow in my life, I have skimmed over this statement, the armor of God. You know, Paul is saying you're putting on the armor of God. You're putting on God's armor. As Christ followers, we're able to put on the very armor of God. Let's not miss that incredible news. The other thing that I've often missed, and perhaps you have, is that this armor of God is nothing new. Paul, throughout this passage, is going to draw richly on the book of Isaiah. Isaiah gives us the images of, of both a God and a Messiah who are a divine warrior. And they are armed to defend and rescue their people. Let me give you just two examples of where the ideas we see in this passage were already in Scripture about about God's armor. In Isaiah 11, there's a prophecy about Christ the Messiah. And Isaiah writes this, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness, this faithfulness, the Hebrew word for faithfulness, also could be translated truth. The truth, the belt of his loins. Belt of truth, sound familiar? Armor that was disused to describe Christ the Messiah. And then in Isaiah 59, referring to the Lord's justice against injustice and bringing vengeance for his people and defending him, we're told this in verse 17. God put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Church, when Paul says, put on the armor of God, he's pointing back to these images He's saying, you're putting on the very armor that we've used to describe the God we serve. You're putting on the character of God, his righteousness, his truth, his salvation. And now, as believers, those things are not just God's armor. Those are truths for us 
as his people. What an important truth we don't want to miss. Paul is calling us not to merely assent to ideas. He is not merely calling us to to run into battle. No, he's reminding us in a potent way that we fight this battle against the devil in God's character, in God's strength, and who he is, not in who we are. We fight based on who he is and what he has done, not on who we are and what we have done. And thanks be to God for that, that that's where we stand in this fight. So now as we turn to the armor, what I don't want us to miss is don't miss what the armor is simply a hook for or pointing us to. We're not going to focus on what did the the Roman shield or the Roman sword look like. We're going to focus on that second half of the phrase. What were the things we were supposed to put on? as Christ's followers. After, uh, of the many commentaries I read this week, it seemed like author after author got preoccupied with ancient Roman armory, and they would leave two or three sentences to explain what does it mean by righteousness and truth and salvation and faith. I don't want us to walk away this morning learning something about a man's sort of military and learn nothing about the armor of God that we walk in. In the same way that our fight is not against people, flesh and blood, Paul tells us, our armor is not about the physical armor. It's about the spiritual truths that Paul wants to remind us of and Paul wants us to stand in. For in verse 12, Paul writes this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Here's the truth that's at play here. Our greatest enemy is not the person sitting across from us, sitting next to us. Our greatest enemy is not our in-laws, our co-workers, or for the kids in the room, not the person at school who's mean to you. That is not our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is the devil and his minions who though they don't have the powers of God, Paul makes clear, have incredible influence in this present age of darkness. And you better believe they are busy at work. The Greek here for wrestle is, is hand-to-hand comment. It's a, the Spanish word mano y mano, a Spanish phrase, mano y mano. It's hand-to-hand. I mean, the devil is right in our space, in our face. And he's going to do everything he can to distract us from the armor that God wants to give us. The devil and his followers aren't standing up in the rafters taking pot shots at us. No, they are in our face and in our world trying to keep people from the truth of God's word. Paul reminds us that this is how the evil one operates in his first letter to the Corinthians. Oh, sorry, his second letter. Hey, he refers to the devil as the God of this world. Check this out in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That is the goal of the evil one and his followers. Can I keep them distracted? Can I keep them discouraged? Can I keep them blinded to the truth of God's word and the gospel? Earlier we saw, as Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, that the devil, who Paul referred to as the prince of the power of the air, is at work in the sons of disobedience. That is, those who have not placed their faith in Christ, have chosen to obey God and follow Christ. Satan and his followers are hard at work, and they're seeking to take as many with them as they can. And they will seek to distract us as Christ followers as well. So these evil forces are at work over time to distract, to discourage, to deceive Their goal is to derail us as Christ's followers and their hope and desire is to keep those who don't know Christ in the dark. And Paul is on the offensive. He is keen to see the people of God able to recognize these schemes of the devil and to stand firm against them. 
and as we see at the end of this passage, to boldly proclaim the gospel, to bring light in the darkness. Take a look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So remember, this is God's armor, but we have to choose to take it on, to put it on, to take it up. Far too many Christians, if we're honest, are walking away defenseless. They have an incredible armor that God offers them sitting in in the corner somewhere and they're not wearing it because they're trying to do it on their own. And as a result, not only are they defenseless, they're discouraged and they're defeated. And they wonder, is this even worth following Christ? Is this the new life I was called to? And Paul says, yes, but you gotta put on the armor of God. So let's take a look at what this armor is and what Paul says we need to be remembering day in, day out. Ephesians 6, verses 14 through 17. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul points to six pieces of armor here. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes that are ready from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, there's the word of God. If we're gonna effectively resist our enemy and call out his schemes, his attempts to distract, discourage, deceive us, we need to be living in light of the truths that are here. Namely, what is the truth? What is righteousness that God gives us? The gospel God gives us, faith that God gives us, salvation, and the word of God that God has given us. Paul says you need to be putting these things on so that you can stand. And and at the end of the battle, at the end of this wrestling match with the evil one, when the dust settles, it's in these things that you will be standing, found standing. Christ, sorry, Christ. Church, isn't that what we want? Don't we have a desire that at the end of all time, when we stand before our Savior, when we stand before our Heavenly Father, who has given everything, that he would look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul here is telling us what we need to do for that to be the, truth, be the case for us. So let's walk through each of these briefly. Paul calls us to, to gird up ourselves, that is to be prepared, get ready for war. It's, it's like Josh Horvath was here. He uh, works in the Paraland Police earlier this morning. It's when he's getting ready for a shift and he puts on his flak jacket and he puts in his handcuffs and his, um, his gun and his tasers and all that, right? That's what's going on here. Get ready with a belt of truth. Get ready for war. It's the essential piece. The belt is what holds everything else in place. The truth of God is what holds everything else in place. It's the fixed objective reality that is not dependent on us or on any other thing. Remove us from the equation and the truth still remains. Wipe out all of us from the face of the earth and the truth is still there of who God is and of what he has done in Christ for us. This is the anchor that we're supposed to be anchored in. The points of objective reveal truth. They are not contingent on us. They rely solely on who God is. I I first heard of this diagram of the train as a kid. Bill Bright, who founded Crusade with his, Camps Crusade for Christ, now crew with his wife, Finette, often shared it. I spent 35 years growing up in Crusade as a kid. The engine is the facts of our faith. And in this case, maybe a word we could put here is the truth. It's the truth of who God is, of what he's done, of our need for him, and of salvation in Christ alone. These truths then drive our faith. Our faith is placed in these truths. And our feelings are then built on and called into check by the truths 
and by our faith. Though, like every analogy, this is not a perfect analogy, and I will grant you that, it has served me well in the last 40 years to call into question my feelings when I don't feel like God's good, or I, I don't feel like I'm being faithful in the way I am, or my faith begins to doubt. I point back to the truths that God has called us to be anchored in about who he is and what he has done. My hope is that maybe this will serve some of you well also. Church, here's the truth. Where the devil attacks is not the caboose. Where the devil attacks is the engine. The devil's gonna attack the character and the goodness of God. The devil's gonna attack what we believe about Jesus Christ. It's not a surprise in the last 200 years, research about Jesus not being the son of God has skyrocketed. Because the devil knows if he can chip away at our trust and our faith in a historical, real Jesus who is fully man and fully God, he can begin to break down our engine and break down the truth. The devil's going to attack the trustworthiness of God, and we see that everywhere. If you've been in college talking about the Bible is just one more historical book, that's the devil at work trying to break down our, tr- our trust in the truth of God's word. The devil knows that these truths provide a firm foundation for us. We stand against the falsehoods by holding fast to these truths. Well, next Paul points to the breastplate of righteousness. The premise here is that we are not clothed in our own righteousness. We do not put our own righteousness on, but we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Church, it's Christ's atoning work on the cross that we wear. We come before God in prayer. We come before God in worship. We, we boldly approach the throne of grace, not because of our righteousness, that we've gotten it right, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in his first letter to the church at Corinth these words, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Because of him, that is God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here's where our enemy and his schemes will attack us. He's going to try to make us believe that it is our own righteousness that not only protects us, but allows us to come before God. And so he's going to whisper in our ear or through our own doubts or through our family members. My dad had a father who called him stupid, and that haunted him the rest of his life. The devil will attack us with these kind of words. How could you? God would never stomach you. He could never use you for what you've done. Our enemy is trying to get you to believe a lie. He's trying to get you to believe the lie that you stand before God because of what you've done or haven't done. And if he can break down that kind of parameter, if he can make you believe that your righteousness is what brings you before God, it's just a simple one-two punch before you walk into pride. Look how good I am. Of course God would love me. Or you walk the other part way into despair. And I can never be good enough. There's truth here, but the truth is you're clothed in Christ. You're right, you could never be good enough, but in Christ you wear his righteousness. Church, we can't ever lose sight of this core truth, and that's what Paul wants us to get here. We do not stand before God because of anything we have done. We stand before God because of Christ, because of his righteousness. When the devil attacks you, he's trying to move your eyes from your Savior to yourself. He knows if he can keep your eyes from Christ, he can attack you all day long. But he knows if you will keep your eyes focused on the righteousness of Christ, no attack he throws at you makes any difference because you don't stand before God based on your righteousness but Christ. 
In Ephesians 6.15, Paul then turns to our, our shoes and he emphasizes a readiness for battle. How are we to be ready for battle? By knowing the gospel of peace. It's the good news of peace that reconciled us to God, that, that brought us peace with God. That's what these shoes are. And we're to be ready to share it. We were dead in our sins and trespasses and God brought us to himself and restored us. When we see a world that is saying that freedom and joy is to be found in chasing whatever makes you happy, are we prepared to respond with the gospel? Are we prepared to say that actually you're dead in your sins? That chasing what makes you happy leads you deeper into sin, the very thing that separated you from God? Are we ready to say, as the gospel proclaims, that there is nothing that we can do to be reconciled to fix that problem but God? But God made a way, and the good news is that he has given us his son. And so with a clear understanding of the gospel at hand that can call out those lies, that, that can call us out of the sin that entangles us and, and has us trapped, we're able to call out the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil that, let's be honest, begin to make us feel like, ah, I'm not nearly so bad. I'm actually a lot better than the guy next door. So God, you have a good reason to love me. You have a good reason to accept me. The gospel pushes back on that, right? Or we are tempted, the scheme of the devil, to say, oh, man, God's not really so good. I mean, look at the things he allows to happen. That's another lie that the devil puts in. And if we can respond with the truth of the gospel, no, God is good. And God sent his own son because we were broken. The gospel is what we're ready to respond with. Well, in verse 16, Paul then says, in all circumstances, in everything, take up the shield of faith. Faith, it's our reliance, not on ourselves, but in God and the work of Christ. It's this faith that allows Christ's followers today and yesterday and for ages past to go to their death for faithfully proclaiming the name of Christ. They've placed their trust in Christ alone. In a couple of weeks, Andy is actually uh, look at 1 Peter 5 with us on a Sunday morning. Here's what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering that are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Are we prepared to stand firm in our faith? So having put on these elements of, of the armor, of, God, of God's armor, the last two things a Roman soldier would have picked up before going into battle was the helmet and the sword. In the helmet of salvation, Paul is reminding us that our salvation is given to us in Christ, and we remember that there's a full salvation to come. That as we go into battle, afraid of what maybe the outcome's going to be, we aren't fearful because we know of the hope we have in Christ. You may remember in 1 Peter 1, we read these words. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You might remember, church, we talked about that when we place our faith in Christ, we're given new life and we are saved now, but there is a full culmination of our salvation yet to come. And that's what Paul's saying. On your head, put the helmet of your salvation, both of what has happened, this truth, and the salvation that is to come. We fix our eyes on Christ in the full hope of the, the glory to come. And as we do, we take up the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. You might remember that when Jesus was tempted by the devil in Matthew 4, 
Side note, remember when, G, when uh, the devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of this world? What we're seeing here is that he had the authority to do that. He is the prince of this present darkness. He has been given authority over this present age, and those were his to give. But Jesus responded by standing on the truth of Scripture time and time again. He recited the Bible to the devil. And as the writer of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Church, as we commit to memorizing and meditating on the word of God, it becomes our weapon. It becomes our weapon against the schemes of the devil. It's how Jesus, the very son of God, the one person who you might say didn't need God's word because he was God, it's how he responded to the schemes of the devil. It's how we too will respond to the lies, the half-truths, and the deceptions of our enemy. I've been in school for a really long time, and I'm crazy because I'm going back in the fall again. But here's what I've learned in almost over 20 years in education. That you're not going to find any knowledge. You're not going to find it in the academy. You're not going to find it in psychology. You're not going to find it on YouTube. You're not going to find it in the latest books that will so effectively aid you in not only discerning truth from error, but responding to error with truth, as you will in the word of God. It's why scripture memory is a big part of our VBS program. There is no greater gift we can give our kids than the word of God hidden in their hearts to respond to the lies of this world. It's why we will always call each other as a church to commit God's word to memory. The psalmist in Psalm 119 reminds us of this truth that we use God's word to stand. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Church, we are a church that believes that God's word has the power to change lives. And I think sometimes we might be guilty of saying, oh yes, there's people out there who need to come in here to hear God's word. But we forget that actually that's true for us too. That it's God's word that changes our lives, that equips us to live the life we're called to. And so we memorize, we meditate on, we dwell in, and we seek to understand God's word. That we might use it to discern the schemes of the evil one. Well, Paul calls us to put on the armor of God, the truths of which are found in God's word as they reveal the character of God, Christ, our need, and the great news of the gospel. I'll post this online for those who want it, but what I want you to notice here on the right-hand side, there's not a single piece of this armor that is us. These are all the incredible, good, gracious gifts of our Heavenly Father who says, take the righteousness of my son, take the salvation I offer you both now and the salvation to come, take the truth of my word. The armor of God is a declaration of the gracious goodness and love of our Father. For of all that he has done for us in Christ and through his word and in his spirit, oh, church, that we would be recipients of this kind of armor. And so Paul says, in almost an act of worship and an act of dependence on God, he calls us to pray in verses 18 through 20. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Look at the all-encompassing nature of this call. At all times, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. 
Prayer is not something we're called to on occasion. Prayer is not something we're supposed to do when it gets really bad. It's, it's not the bat signal when we're desperate. It's not the radio call when we're, we're stuck in the trenches and we need reinforcements. No, as Paul writes in the letter to the Thessalonians, we are to pray without ceasing, for it is central to our life as believers. We're to pray in the Spirit, as Paul says here, who is, we are told, is our counselor, is our guide. He is a member of the triune God that dwells with us. He brings to mind the words of God. And awesomely, he intercedes for us when we can't find the words to pray ourselves. So through prayer in the Spirit and through Christ, we have direct access, church, to the very God whose armor we're putting on. Not only has God said, I I give you this armor, and it is the most incredible armor you've ever seen, he's also said, I've made a way for you to come to me and to pray, to cry out in supplication for for what you need and where you need me. We can speak to God, we can boldly approach his throne, and that is an incredible thing. Paul here calls us to not only pray for ourselves, to to pray for, for one another, and Paul, as he asked in the last couple of verses, says, pray for me that I too would stand firm in the faith and be bold in the gospel. Church, in the years ahead, you're going to see a a new kind of focus for us as a church on prayer. You're going to see it uh, as individuals in corporate life. You're going to see it on Sunday mornings. You're going to see it throughout the week because we are called to be a people constantly at prayer. And my heart is that that would be true of us, that we would call one another to that, that we'd be praying for one another, that we would constantly be going to the Father as a, a church community, and as believers. I think far too often prayer is one of the neglected aspects of the Christian faith. It gets left in the corner to get picked up and dusted off when we need God. And I would love for us to be a church defined by prayer day in and day out. And so this year, we're going to call one another up to this. And so if you have a heart for prayer, if, if God has put that burden on your heart, come find me. Come find Joe Painter. We're walking through a season this summer to just say, God, what would this look like? to walk our, our, our people and our community deeper and deeper into a life of faithful prayer. All right, well, let's close. Paul began this passage with this call in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Church, this is Paul's heart, that the people he's writing to would be able to stand. And it's my heart, too. I want us to be a community that's able to stand against the schemes of the devil in this evil age. I know many of us and, and those we know are fearful of the world we're living in. And, and Paul here says, don't be afraid because you've been given the armor of God to stand in. And at the end of the day, when the dust settles and the wrestling match is done and you have done all, Paul and I want you to stand firmly. And so to that end, here's our three questions to consider this week. First, as you go through your life, are you even aware that there's a spiritual battle going on? around you? That the devil is at work in his schemes and his deception? Are you aware that there is a battle from him and his minions uh, and and they're trying to distract you? They're trying to keep people blinded in their ignorance. That He is actively trying to discourage you, to deceive you, and to distract you. Man, I always get that last one wrong. As a result, church, are we putting on the whole armor of God? Have you suited up like Iron Man or like Mario? Are you standing in the truth of of God's righteousness and the good news of the gospel that that your faith is not in you but is in Christ, that that the promise of salvation is not something that's happened but it's also something that will happen? And are you standing in the incredible power of God's word? 
maybe more poignantly as you see this list, which of these areas do you need to grow in? Which area of this armor do you understand the least as a Christ follower? Is it Christ's righteousness that you stand in? Is it the good news of your salvation? Is it, is it the clarity of the gospel? Is it, is it meditating on God's word? What aspect of your armor do you need to shine and polish and go deeper in? And then lastly, are we constantly a people in prayer for ourselves and for others that God would grant us wisdom and boldness, as Paul says here, and the words to say that we might stand firm and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus? Maybe more pointedly, who are you praying for that that would be true of them, that they would stand firm? And who have you asked to pray for you? Who's praying for you by name that you would stand firm? I'm going to ad lib here for just one second. I did this first service. It's just on my heart that as we get head, what, we're almost at that midpoint of summer. That's crazy, isn't it? I don't know where that happened. But as students get ready to go back to school and our college students get ready back to go to college, we as a community of believers are called to intercede for them, to come before the Lord with prayer and supplication on their behalf, that they would be able to stand against the schemes of the evil one. And so church, if you're not, if you're not sure where to start praying, start praying for our college students, start praying for our high school students, start praying for our students in school. As they get ready to head back to school in the fall, would they be able to stand firm in the truth of God's word? Now, here's the, the other truth, though, of this. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never repented and placed your faith in him, recognized your need for him, the hard news is you don't get to put on this armor. This armor isn't yet something you can wear because you're not walking in Christ. You don't know that newness of life. You don't know the joy of salvation yet. And so if you're here today and, and you see these and you're like, I don't understand I don't get where this is, or, or God's put a burden on your heart that you realize you've actually never repented. You've been trying to do it on your own, and you never said, man, God, I don't know what it looks like to be clothed in your righteousness, but I'm clearly aware that it, my righteousness is not cutting it, cutting it. If you realize today that you have never been given that new life because you've never placed your faith in Christ, today's the day, because there's an incredible truth waiting for you on the other end, the armor of God that you get to walk in and confidence each and every day. We're going to do communion here in a second, but would you join me in a word of prayer first? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the chance to be together as your body of believers, those you have called. Lord, I recognize that some are in this room, may be here with family, may have just walked in, um, and may not know you. And so, Lord, I just would pray that if there's anyone in this room who does not yet know the joy and the goodness of new life in you, of salvation in Christ alone, Lord, if there's anyone in this room who's still carrying a burden that they're going to figure it out on their own, Lord, or, or that they're just lost in despair because there's no hope, Lord, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. God, they don't have to do it on their own. That you've called them to, to repent of trying to do it on their own, to place their faith in you, Jesus, and then in you to find newness of life. And a new life in which they get to boldly approach your throne. A new life in which they get to wear your armor. That they might stand firm against the schemes of the devil and a world focused on breaking them down. So Father, I pray this morning they might place their faith in you. Father, as we get ready to, to spend some time in communion, I pray that you would use the next few moments to just cause us to reflect. Lord, are we aware of the spiritual battle going on? Are we wearing the, the incredible armor of God that you've given us, your character and what you've done? And then Lord, are we a people defined by prayer?
Lord, we thank you for this time together. And as we take communion, remember your son. Pray that you uh, would be with us still. To your name we pray. Thanks again for spending some time with us today. For further information about today's podcast or our church in general, please visit us at cornerstonecbc.org. That's cornerstonecbc.org. Thanks. See you next time.